Welcome to Palmdale United Methodist Church's podcast for Sunday, December 22nd, 2019. May God use this as a blessing to you today. Let us pray. O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So the news hit over a month ago. You may have missed it, especially because it wasn't centered around the United States. But London's premier retail establishment, Harrods, Harrods Department Store, uh, announced a new policy for their department store Santa visits for this 2019 holiday year. Between Friday, November 15th, and this coming Tuesday, December 24th, Santa will appear in, are you ready, a Christmas grotto decorated by the crystal company Shrawofsky and promising, quote, a snow-covered woodland filled with sparkling surprises. And if Swarovski is doing it, you know it's going to be fabulous. And, of course, Father Christmas will be there in that Christmas grotto. But here's the catch. Reservations are required, and there's a ticket price, $25 per family. Oh, and one more thing. Herod's said that only reward members who are a green two-level or higher can make a reservation, which meant you would have had to have spent at least $2,500 in Herod's department store or online in the calendar year to be eligible for a Santa reservation. CBS News called it Santa for the 1%. (laughs) As you can imagine, many people bemoan this uh, change of plans uh, by Herod's, including one man, uh, James Brown, age 40, who had taken his four children to visit Santa at Herod's every year for the past previous years. I don't know how many it was. And he said, they've lost the true meaning of Christmas. Uh, He said this to the London Guardian newspaper. Visiting Father Christmas shouldn't be reserved for those that are fortunate enough to frequent the store and spend thousands of pounds. Well, Herod's countered by saying, we will make 160 slots open for families who aren't a green level two or higher. Guess what percentage of the 160 slots that uh, represented? 3.6% of all the visits to Santa. And, by the way, uh, they announced this on uh, November 10th. By November 12th, they had sold out all of their slots. Merry Christmas. Uh, Welcome to the fourth week in Advent and our third installment of Christmas, the Director's Cut. And it's bringing us to department store Santas. Each week, we've been looking at a different Hollywood Christmas film and uh, diving into the story and the plot line and then seeing what are elements of the true Christmas story that we find in the Bible. How does that connect? Today, we're spending time with Miracle on 34th Street. It was released in 1947, the same year that The Bishop's Wife premiered. That's a movie we looked at a few weeks ago. This film garnered four Academy Awards and was up for a fifth Best Picture but didn't win. It has become one of the most beloved Christmas movies of all time. Can you show of hands, how many have this on your top five favorite list? Okay. How many have never seen it before? A few. Okay. Fair enough. Well, it may surprise you that this movie was not released at Christmas time. In fact, the executives at 20th Century Fox back in the 40s thought more people go to the movies in the summer, so they released it in May. But... By Christmas of that year, 1947, it was still playing in theaters. It was that popular. 
Um, you may also be interested to know uh, that the uh, movie originally took f- only four and a half weeks to film in its entirety. But in 1985, this became the first full-length movie, black and white, to be colorized. Guess how long it took? Four and a half months. <laughs> Four and a half weeks to film, four and a half months to colorize. Here's the original uh, Christmas, uh, or the original movie poster. The executives didn't want to let on that this was a Christmas movie. So as you see by it, unless you knew the plot line, there's no way of knowing. They, they thought that it might uh, inhibit people wanting to come and see this summer blockbuster film. They were wrong. The movie begins as we follow a man walking through the streets of New York City. There's nothing particularly unique about this older gentleman until he stops at a storefront window and does something quite unexpected. Due to copyright restrictions, we're unable to play the audio version of the video clips that we showed in worship. Well, it's the day of Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, and we'll soon discover that the actor who was originally hired to play Santa shows up drunk. Uh, and so our good-natured man from the opening scene just so happens to be drawn in by the music, and he offers his services to replace the inebriated Santa Claus. Well, he's such a success that uh, he's hired to be the store Santa for Macy's flagship New York City store on 34th Street at Herald Square. And in this scene, our new Santa is given official instructions by management on what, uh, shall we say, Macy's expects of him. Well, we soon find that this new Santa isn't too good on following orders. In fact, in this next scene, the new hire does exactly the opposite of what management asked him to do. Let's watch. Well, his first day on the job proves to be quite controversial, not not only because he's sending uh, clients to other department stores, which, by the way, becomes so popular among uh, the clients that word spreads and they get this tremendous amount of publicity, but also because he meets Susan for the first time. Young Susan Walker is nine year, or she's played by nine-year-old Natalie Wood. She's the daughter of Doris Walker, uh, Macy's event coordinator who hired Santa in the first place. Well, Doris has raised Susan not to believe in fairy tales like Santa Claus and other things. In this scene, Susan is brought to see Santa by their kind and very dashing neighbor, uh, Mr. Fred Gailey. Let's watch. Mm. Okay, so those are all the main characters in the film that we have to know about. Now let's turn our attention to the main characters from Luke chapter 1, beginning of verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a young virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph in the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So we begin with a woman named Mary, the heroine in today's story, a woman who has never been with a man and yet is engaged to Joseph. Now, a few weeks ago, I shared with you that in biblical times, to be engaged virtually meant you were already married. I mean, legally, it's exactly the same thing. In the ancient Near East, an engaged couple had signed an agreement pledging themselves to the other. They just hadn't started living together until the groom-to-groom-to-be finished building an extension on his parents' house that he grew up in. Once they had a place that they could stay, then they would have the wedding celebration. It would last for a week, and the whole town would gather around to rejoice. Well, scholars tell us that Mary 
was probably no older than 13 or 14 years old. She could have been as young as 12, which is why I love this painting so much. It captures Mary's youthfulness, which some of the other paintings from different eras do not. The third character, of course, in our uh, drama this morning is the angel Gabriel. Gabriel is one of God's divine messengers, and uh, Gabriel is represented in this piece of art by the blinding bright column of light that's off to the left of the picture. Gabriel comes to give Mary a specific message. Verse 28 and 29. Greetings, favored one, says Gabriel. The Lord is with you. But Mary was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. I think this is one of the most understated lines in all of Scripture, right? Mary was perplexed by his words. First of all, she's in the presence of an angel. And usually when an angel visits someone, the angel says, for the first words are, fear not, do not be afraid. There's something about that connection with the divine that just blows people away. He doesn't say that to Mary. He says, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. And you have to imagine, did she feel... Like she was favored at that moment? And, and, and what does it mean that the Lord is with her? What does it mean for us to say that the Lord is with us? We're about to find out. Back to our movie, Doris comes to find out that the new Santa she hired goes by the name of Kris Kringle, and he actually believes himself to be the real Santa Claus. Now, it disturbs her quite greatly, and she even contemplates firing him on the spot, but Chris has generated such tremendous publicity and goodwill on the first day. And with a, an open-door policy that Mr. Macy has, uh, they have this meeting, and Mr. Macy himself compliments Doris on her excellent hire. In this scene, she's just finished telling Chris she's changed her mind. She's not going to let him go. He can stay with the company. Well, unlike the other miraculous conception stories in the Bible, notably Sarah, Hannah, and Elizabeth, for starters, Mary has not been praying for a child. Like, this is not the answer to prayer that the angel delivers. Not at all. I mean, this was God's doing. This was a divine plan. No consultation first. The the angel didn't come down and say to her, you know, Mary, um, God was wondering, what would you think about renting out your womb for a short period of time? You know, say nine months or so? Yeah, no. No. No, God didn't ask Mary what she thought about the idea before uh, Gabriel sprung it on her. In fact, uh, God didn't even check to see if she was ready to embrace a challenge or or an opportunity. didn't find out if if things were okay in her life so she could take something on. No. And, And think about your own life, right? Whenever these big challenges come up, it's usually never at a good time, right? We, we don't have any choice when we're faced with the difficulties life throws our way. We just have to deal with it, no matter where we are, whatever state of mind, whatever season in our spirit it may be. And although today we're quite familiar with this story, and, and we're all quite uh, comfortable seeing nativity scenes featuring the Holy Family and, and Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus in a manger, if we're going to take this story seriously... We have to wonder what kind of impact this sudden revelation would have on a 12, 13, 14-year-old girl. I mean, can you imagine what it must have been like to have your entire world flipped upside down? What was going on in Mary's mind at this time? That's exactly what Doris is trying to uh, know about Chris. What's going on in his mind at this point in the story? 
So as with the case with any new employee, she sends him to Mr. Sawyer, the uh, Macy's psychologist, for a new hire uh, evaluation. Well, in the scene that follows, Dr. Pierce, who works at the retirement home where Chris has been living, uh, comes to Macy's to give his own professional opinion on Chris's current state of mind. Isn't that great? Uh, latent maniacal tendencies. This is a great phrase. Add it to your vocabulary this week. Is Chris crazy? Is he a danger to others? Hold on to those questions. We're going to go back to our biblical story with Mary and her situation. Right? So Gabriel comes to her. He, he, he greets her uh, and, and gives her a pronouncement. And then Mary says this, verse 34. How can this be since I am a virgin? Like, it's a perfectly legitimate question. Mary may be young, but she is not naive. She knows how biology works. She knows that she and Joseph hadn't been working any biology together before they got married, that's for sure. Verse 35. The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is in the sixth month for her who was said to have been barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And really, this becomes the crux of the matter. Will Mary come to believe and trust what the angel has said, that, that truly nothing is impossible with God? Or will she try to rationally explain the whole situation away as being impossible? That's also what little Susan in our movie today is trying to figure out. Is this nice old man who claims to be Santa Claus the the really, truly, one and only, oddness to goodness St. Nicholas himself? And if he is, then surely nothing is impossible for him, right? Well, Chris is invited to live with Mr. Gailey, so he doesn't have to travel so far each day to and from uh, his retirement home to work at Macy's. Well, one night, Fred and Chris are invited over to have dinner with Doris and Susan. And in this scene, uh, Susan seeks to discern whether or not Chris truly is who he says he is. Let's watch. Everybody lets their kids chew gum before bedtime, right? That's yeah, totally believable. <laughs> well, just as he's beginning to make some progress with Doris and Susan, Chris has a few more run-ins with Mr. Sawyer the psychologist, who by hook or by crook is out to convince Doris that Chris is indeed mentally ill. Well, Chris eventually gets uh, confined to Bellevue, New York City's primary psychiatric hospital. And thinking that Doris was actually in on the plan to get him committed, Chris, in a state of depression, intentionally fails his psychiatric admittance evaluation. But Fred comes to visit Chris and convinces him that's not the case. Doris didn't know anything about it and not to give up hope. Fred, an attorney himself, vows to help Chris get released from Bellevue via the court system. Well, Fred's agreement to represent Chris in court put him not only in a difficult position with his law firm, but in a difficult position with Doris. Chris, in fact, uh, claimed to be Santa in his opening uh, appearance in court, and now it's up to Fred to prove that it's true. In the next scene, we see the pressure this is putting on Doris, and also in turn on her budding romantic relationship with Mr. Gailey. Wasn't that a great line? Faith is believing when common sense tells you not to. Well, that brings us back to Mary. She's had this angelic visit. 
She's been informed that the child soon to be in her womb is holy and blessed. And the only question out of her lips is the inquisitive, how can this be? Barbara Brown Taylor is one of my favorite contemporary preachers. And in her book, Gospel Medicine, she mentions a few other questions that she herself might have asked uh, if she had been in Mary's position. She writes, will Joseph stick around? Will my parents still love me? Will my friends stand by me? Or will I get dragged into town and be stoned for sleeping around? Will the pregnancy go all right? Will labor be hard? Will, will there be someone to, there to help me when my time comes? Will I know what to do? You say the child will be the king of Israel, but what about me? Will, will I survive his birth? What about me? I mean, those are all legitimately good questions, aren't they? But Mary asks none of them. Verse 38. Then Mary said, here am I the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. Let it be with me according to your word, she says. Wow, what, what does it mean to believe? And, and not just simply to believe in God or to believe that Jesus is God's son. And not simply to believe that Christmas is more than just a, a nice uh, time of the year where people around the world feel good and, and offer kindness to one another. No, it's to believe in the gift of Christmas, that God knows us, that God loves us, and that God is working for good in our lives, no matter what our current situations may seem like to the contrary. I mean, that's what was happening in, in Mary's world at that time. And she's able to say, let it be with me according to your word. As we near the end of the film, we notice a definite shift in Susan's attitude towards Chris. And in this scene, her mom is trying to explain what's happening to the nice old man who lives across the hall. Well, as the trial nears the end, it's starting to look bleak for Fred and his defense of Chris. But Susie's letter just might be the break that both of them need. Let's watch how the movie ends. Now, I want to be really clear here. I'm not saying that believing in Santa is the same thing as believing in Jesus. Not at all. But if you're willing to go outside your comfort zone and think deeply here, you might discover a powerful connection between the message of Miracle on 34th Street and the message with Mary and Gabriel. What does it mean for us to truly believe this Christmas? As we prepare for what's going to happen on December 25th, as it does every year, a more important question needs to be asked. And, and that is, do we believe that the incarnation of Jesus, that the fact that God became flesh and dwelt among us, do we believe that actually can have a direct impact on our lives here today? Meister Eckhart was a medieval mystic and theologian. And he once wrote this. We are all meant to be mothers of God. What good is it to me if this eternal birth of the divine son takes place unceasingly, but does not take place within myself? And what, what good is it to me if Mary is full of grace, if I am not also full of grace? What good is it to me for the creator to give birth to his son if I do not also give birth to him in my time and my culture? This then is the fullness of time when the son of God is begotten in us. We know that the kind of impact that that angelic visit had upon Mary. We know how it shaped her, her life and her faith as it was recorded, not only in Scripture, but in other instances throughout her lifetime. But the question for us is, what impact will have on us? 
Can we possibly move through this Christmas season again without this story changing who we are at the very core? And will we be content to simply let this Christmas come and go like it always does? And maybe it will be a little bit more or a little bit less memorable than others. But maybe, just maybe, if we truly allow the Son of God to be born within us, it might change everything as we draw closer to the one who created us, redeems us, and sustains us. You'll have to watch uh, the very end of the movie to find out whether or not Susan gets her Christmas wish of the house in the suburbs. But I encourage you to pay attention over the next few days to your own life, your own heart, your own spirit, that you, you never may know how God will break into your life and be born and create something new in you that you never expected. But be open. Be on the lookout. Thanks be to God for this amazing gift of Christmas, which didn't just happen 2,000 years ago, but is happening here and now in your life and in mine. In Jesus' name, amen.